to Psalm 40. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. We closed our service with the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Most of us have heard the opening line of that hymn being used as a phrase. Fewer believers know the full hymn and fewer believers still know the life story of the one who wrote it, William Cooper. And if contrast 
is the key to a striking picture, then the picture of Cooper's life is striking enough to floor us. Born in 1731, his mother died when he was just six years of age. And his dad sent him to Pittman's boarding school, a nightmare of a school in many ways. But he said, quote, my chief affliction consisted in my being singled out from all the other boys by a lad about 15 years of age as a proper object upon which he might let loose the cruelty of his temper. He had by his savage treatment of me impressed such a dread of his figure upon my mind that I well remember being afraid to lift up my eyes upon him higher than his knees and that I knew him by his shoe buckles better than any other part of his clothes. And while he was there, at the age of 11, if you can believe this, his dad sent him an essay written by someone defending suicide. And he asked William to give him his thoughts on the argumentation. Well, Cooper eventually left the boarding school. And at the age of 28, he was offered a promotion in his place of work. But in order for him to get the promotion, he would have to pass a public exam. And the idea of that caused him so much distress that he had a breakdown and attempted suicide three times. He was sectioned and he wrote this in view of his recent suicide attempts. Conviction of sin took place, especially of that just committed. The meanness of it as well as its atrocity were exhibited to me in colors so inconceivably strong that I despised myself with the contempt not to be imagined or expressed. This sense of it secured me from the repetition of a crime which I could not now reflect on without abhorrence. A sense of God's wrath and a deep despair of escaping it instantly succeeded. But while in the St. Albans insane asylum, he was visited by Dr. Nathaniel Cotton, who was a believer, an evangelical Christian. And he wouldn't give up on cotton. He believed there was hope for him. And six months into his stay at the asylum, Cooper wrote this. Having found a Bible on the bench in the garden, I opened upon the 11th chapter of St. John where Lazarus is raised from the dead and saw so much benevolence Mercy and goodness and sympathy with miserable men in our Savior's conduct that I almost shed tears upon the relation. Little thinking that it was an exact type of the mercy which Jesus was on the point of extending towards myself. I sighed and said, oh that I had not rejected so good a redeemer. That I had not forfeited all his favors. Thus my heart was softened though not yet enlightened. And then, sometime later, he read Romans 3, verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Immediately, 
Cooper wrote, I received the strength to believe it. And the full beams of the sun of righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement that he had made. My pardon sealed in his blood. And all the fullness and completeness of his justification. In a moment I believed and received the gospel. Whatever my friends had said to me long before revived in all of its clearness with demonstration of the spirit and power. Unless the almighty arm had been under me, I think I should have died with gratitude and joy. My eyes filled with tears and my voice choked with transport. I could only look up to heaven in silent fear, overwhelmed with love and wonder. Well, friends, that wasn't the end of his story. There was more darkness and light to come. But when a pastor, whom I love to listen to, delivered a verbal or spoken biographical sketch of Cooper to his church, he said that the effect on the membership of the church was most remarkable. Why? Why would that be? Well, here's why. Because when others who find themselves deeper in the slough of despond than we are, are delivered, the message comes home to us, there is hope for me. If him, then me. That if God can liberate a man like Cooper, who'd attend, uh, attempted suicide, and who'd find himself, found himself in an asylum, God can break my chains too. And that no one is too far gone for the grace of God, but all are within his reach, because his arm is not shortened to save. I bring our series in the Messianic Psalms to a close tonight with Psalm 40. There are other messianic psalms and we'll come to them in time. God willing, one of my ambitions in life is to preach the entire Bible. Every verse, every chapter, every book. And so if God gives me length and, uh, of days and health, and if God gives you length of days and health, then we'll get to the rest of them in time. But the point of Psalm 40 is found in the words of verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And David tells the story of a, a deliverance in his life in a way of stirring up his brothers to have hope and to worship. If me, David says, then you. And if God could do it for me, he can do it for you. And he does it to stimulate his own faith in view of a present crisis. And so listen, if you're here tonight and you feel like you are a write-off, that there is no hope for you, that you are too far gone, that there is no way back to God for you, then let David tell you all about his rescue from the slough of despond, from the dungeon of despair, and how blessed you will be if the Lord is your trust. 
Blessed is the man, blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust. Why? Well, number one, he has received salvation. And number two, he will receive salvation. Number one, he has received salvation. Now in verses 1 to 10, David describes God's salvation as a top-down salvation. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 1 again, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. David was frankly thrilled that Benjamin Franklin's God did not and does not exist. Franklin said, God helps those who help themselves. Psalm 40 says, nothing could be further from the truth. David says, I just waited patiently for the Lord. No one else could help me. I couldn't help me. The saints in the land in whom is all my delight, they couldn't help me. The Lord alone could help me, so I waited for him. And from heaven, he inclined to me and heard my cry. I didn't throw a a rope, a, a lasso up to heaven and have God draw me up after I had done that. No, no, God reached down and God did the heavy lifting. And even the song that God put in my mouth was placed there by him. So that those who see and fear in view of God's deliverance in my life, they won't be tempted to share out their trust between my genius and God's grace. No, no, no. All of their trust will be reserved for the Lord because it was all of Him. It was a a top-down salvation, a heaven-to-earth salvation. He predestined it. He designed it. He delivered it. But not only is God's salvation top-down, it's also outside-in. In that God is the one who creates the receptivity needed for us to receive his salvation in our lives. Look at verse 6 again. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. That is in mere religious duty. And in mere formalism you have not delighted. But you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said behold I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. You have dug into my head, David says. The ears needed to pass your word from my ears to my soul and for me to love it. And heaven knows that about me very well. When David says, it is written of me in the scroll of the book, I believe David is just referring there to heaven's record. That is, God knows the truth about me. And so in other words, God knows the truth about my heart because God dug ears into my head to receive his law. But it wasn't only a top-down salvation. 
And it wasn't only an outside-in salvation, it was an inside-out salvation. Look at verse 5b, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Go down to verse 9, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation that so blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord that he can't keep it to himself it has to find an outlet well the New Testament tells us that the salvation that David praised God for here in Psalm 40 is the salvation that Jesus Christ himself provided for all those who trust him that we can know the blessing of Psalm 40, because Jesus provided the salvation of Psalm 40. Hebrews 10 again, consequently when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said, Above you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That is, Jesus was so consecrated to the will of God, he offered his body to accomplish the salvation of God for us. And he rescued us from the pit of destruction by entering the pit of destruction for us. In his book, Christ-Centered Preaching, Dr. Brian Chappell tells this story. Two brothers were playing on the sandbanks by the river. One ran after another up a large mound of sand. Unfortunately, the mound was not solid, and their weight caused them to sink in quickly. When the boys didn't return home for dinner, the family and neighbors organized a search. They found the younger brother unconscious with his head and shoulders sticking out above the sand. When they cleared the sand to his waist, he awakened. The searchers asked, where is your brother? And the child replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. With the sacrifice of his own life, the older brother lifted the younger to safety. The tangible and sacrificial love of the older brother literally served as a foundation for the younger brother's life. Jesus saved us from the pit of destruction by entering the pit of destruction for us. And if you are a believer here this evening, it is because you are standing on his shoulders such that the blessing of Psalm 40 is ours because Jesus provided the salvation of Psalm 40 for us. And if you'd ask, 
what am I supposed to do with all of this information, this top-down, outside-in, inside-out salvation? Psalm 40 gives us the answer, tell someone about it. And I'm not even talking evangelistically. Because you notice here in Psalm 40, this is addressed to David's brothers. To stir them up to worship God. And so the message for us is, do not keep God's deliverance of you to yourself. That if you have a testimony of God's chain-smashing deliverance in your life, pass it on and tell someone else. One commentator said this, praise for our salvation is the cup of water that the faithful person has no right to withhold from a neighbor who is thirsty for God. And that's all of us. We're all thirsty for God, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. Which means we all need to hear a good testimony. Just this past Friday, after our prayer meeting for the lost, one of you was telling me about the burden you have for an older family member who is not yet a believer. And I told you the story of the time that Gloria and I went to visit Gloria's grandma about a month before she passed away. We were there in the house and I had this altogether unexplained burden, conviction, desire to open up my Bible and read John chapter 10 to Gloria's grandma knowing she wouldn't understand a word of it. And so I got Gloria's grandma to come and translate as I read. And after I read John chapter 10, and after I prayed for Gloria's grandma and had every sentence translated from English into Korean, Gloria's grandma began to speak. And Gloria's auntie translated what she said. And what she said was this, now I know that I am one for whom the good shepherd came. What does that do to us? I'll tell you what it does. It stirs up the worship that David is demonstrating here. That's what it does. And that's what we need. And that's the cup of cold water that every believer desires. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Why? Well, number one, he has received salvation. Number two, he will receive salvation. Look at verse 11 with me. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. 
But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Now from verse 11, Psalm 40 takes something of an unexpected turn, doesn't it? There are some who falsely and wrongly believe that verses 11 to 17 weren't even part of Psalm 40 originally, and that they were sort of clumsily superglued to the verses we just read by some inattentive scribe. But when we read verses 11 to 17 in view of what came before, we understand that what David was doing previously was seeking to bolster his faith for a present crisis. That God, you've done this in the past, and that is what I need in the present. The psalmist writes, writes one, moves from celebration of past deliverance to an appeal to God to save him from a present crisis. I've said this before in our series. In this very series, real believers experience real trials. And that if the mark of a believer is the lack of trials in their lives, then there are no real believers in the Bible, there are no real believers in church history, and there are no real believers in this church. Like many of you, I grew up singing the hymn, Trust and Obey. But I don't think I could sing the second verse to that hymn now without squinting my eyes and looking sideways a little bit because it says, not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Really? Well, we don't know the specifics, but David speaks here of being surrounded outnumbered by evils, overtaken by his own sin and iniquity that covered his eyes so that he couldn't even see the way forward. His heart failed him, meaning he had lost the ability to will that which is acceptable to God, as one man put it. And there were those who sought to snatch away his life, who delighted in his hurt like sadistic and brutal men. But David was sure that God's future salvation was coming. Why? Because God's salvation had already come in the past. Verse 11 again, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. The word for us, friends, is clear. If we have been delivered from sin and death and hell in the past, we can trust God for every deliverance we need in the future. Everyone. That if the greatest enemies of all were destroyed at the cross 2,000 years ago, then how much more can we have faith for the deliverances we need 20 minutes from now? 200 days from now, 2,000 days from now. What did Paul say in Romans 8? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously along with him give us all things? If the greater then surely the lesser. 
and that if he's provided the greatest deliverance we need, then can't we trust him for the lesser deliverances we need in the future as well? Friend, listen, the only way to move forward in faith is by looking back in faith. That if we can look back to the place, if we can look back to the time when God demonstrated the fullness of his love toward us, then can't we look forward for the deliverances to come in every storm and in every trial and in every danger? Think of it like this. Imagine for a moment that God answered the prayer request that you pray about most often in your life. Let's say God just answered it the second you prayed for it and it was there. Maybe you've been praying for your health. Let's say you pray for healing and God heals you. Others of you are praying for uh, uh, the conversion of a family member. And let's say the moment you say amen and get up off the ground, you get a phone call and that family member tells you, I've just been converted. Others of you are praying for your children to be unstained from the world or for a better job or whatever it is that you're praying about right now. If we were to receive the answer to all of those prayers, I bet we would feel loved by the Lord. And that would be right. We should feel loved by the Lord. Of course we should. But those answers to prayer are not how God has demonstrated the fullness of his love towards us. He's given us something more than freedom from cancer. He's given us something more than a better job. He's given us something more than the conversion of our friends and family. Because Jesus said, no greater love is any man than this, that he laid out, that someone lay down his life For his friends. So, if like David, you find yourself in a crisis right now, look back to the most decisive act of God's love toward you in order for you to believe God's love toward you in the future as well. If he loved me like that then, then he will continue to love me like that in the future. Nothing can separate me from his love. Whether life or death or on and on, nothing will be able to separate me and separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're here tonight and you are not yet a Christian, raised at this church, not raised at this church, professing believer, not professing believer, baptized, not baptized. Friend, if you are not yet a believer, then you must look back to that place in faith for the very first time in your life. The place where the Lord Jesus Christ bore all of our sin and made for us a perfect redemption. Our forgiveness in His blood, just as Cooper said. And you can look up to heaven in silent fear and awe and wonder at such salvation. Look to Him, friend. Believe on Him. And be saved this evening. Why don't we sing?